these are the these are the figures that upset me most. 30% of doctors expressing in toilets, 15% in broom cupboards, and then we have people breastfeeding in photocopy rooms, um, under stairwells, by patient bedside, you know, 30% of women sat in the toilets expressing in, you know, in our national health service is not good enough. I can remember sitting down having supervision with my um, supervisor at the time and he asked something about me going on maternity leave and how long I was going to take and I just burst into tears and I was like, I, I just can't do it again. It was so horrible, it was so humiliating. Hello and welcome to the Mothers in Medicine podcast. The place where we'll be having honest and open conversations with the leaders in the medical field who are also mothers. I'm Dr Scholler. I'm a neurology registrar, a wife and a mother. I love my job and I love my family, but life as a mother and a doctor can be hectic. Over the coming weeks, I'll be asking my guests about their real life experiences and they'll share their practical tips and advice for managing the juggle. The World Health Organization recommends that women breastfeed their children for up to two years or longer and the NHS promotes breastfeeding for the general population through a variety of means. Yet UK breastfeeding rates are amongst the lowest in the world. And from speaking to mothers in medicine, I know that often for those who choose to breastfeed, continuing to do so after returning to work can be really tough. In this episode, I'm with Dr Holly Hearfield, consultant psychiatrist and mother of three, her own experiences inspired her to lead a study of the breastfeeding experiences of NHS staff returning to work, which she did with her colleague, Dr. Jenny Collier. And today she's going to share some of their shocking findings. Hello, Holly. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm a psychiatrist. I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist and I work in sort of crisis services for children. Um, I've got four children between the ages of three and ten. I live in North Wales with them and my three dogs. Four children, quite a um, handful there. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely busy, busy and interesting. Uh, one of the reasons, obviously, we brought you on the podcast is, well, really, I was really interested to read about your research into the experiences of NHS workers trying to breastfeed on their return to work. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I'd had sort of quite mixed, obviously I've had four children, so four experiences of going back to work and, and quite mixed experiences really of, of how, what was available to me and, and how well supported I felt. And there was a few years ago, there was sort of um, lots of Facebook groups coming up, weren't there, for various different like doctor mum groups. And what I noticed with my um, friend and colleague, Jenny, who did the research with me was that lots and lots of women were posting on there and expressing their concerns about what they do when they went back to work because they were still breastfeeding. And it seemed to cause so much anxiety. And then some of the responses were so negative when women were ex describing the experience that the, experiences that they'd had. And so we decided to do a short survey to gather a little bit of information. And we thought perhaps we could take it to our local trust and see if we could get some changes made. And we just had this overwhelming response. We had over 500 cases. And, you know, this was just a little something we were thinking of doing in our, in our spare time. Um, and the, 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 
the results were so overwhelmingly negative. It was so upsetting to read about the experiences that women have been having that we decided we'd turn it into a more formal piece of research and we decided to look at the experiences of all professionals because we'd originally just looked at our our medical peers. Um, And so that's how the piece of research came about. I mean, you mentioned a little bit about what you had learned about other people's experiences. Can you say anything about your personal experience as well? Yeah, I, th- I mean, so I'd I'd had quite a negative experience after having um, one of my children. And I just felt so unhappy. I was sort of crying at the thought of going into work. Um, you know, I was engorged. I was embarrassed. It was just such a horrible experience. And I thought that I was isolated in having endured that experience. And I say endured because it was, it was awful. And combined with, you know, how vulnerable you feel when you're a new mum and all the guilt that comes with going back to work and all the moving around to different jobs. Um, you know, it was, it was really upsetting. And I actually stopped breastfeeding because of it and I I just presumed it was only me that felt like that and so reading about how many other women had been you know having similar experiences was quite profound for me really and I just thought we've got to do something about this um you know the NHS is the biggest employer in the you know in the UK and almost 80% of the employees are women so we do need to think about how women need to be supported and I just thought well I'll do that. (laughs) I think when I went back with my first one I think I was just so overwhelmed with all the things that you're kind of trying to get your head around as you start back at work whether it's you know it's the childcare it's can I remember anything it's the guilt of putting your child you know in nursery or or with a child mind or whatever and then I just thought I I just can't um, even think about that. I mean, I used to feed maybe like in the first thing in the morning and then, yes, come back with, you know, boobs like boulders. (laughs) And you're sort of like, ah. (laughs) But imagine if somebody had approached you before you came back to work and said, are you planning on breastfeeding? If you are, here's how we can support you. Uh, You know, I wonder how many women would make a different decision. Yeah, yeah. If somebody reached out to them in that way. Obviously, in the NHS, they try and promote breastfeeding amongst patients. The WHO is trying to promote people breastfeeding to two years and beyond. Yeah, well, we actually based the research around the recommendations that the NHS make to other employers. And we wanted to see, well, are the NHS actually, you know, doing what they they suggest to other people? Um and, you know, unfortunately it's it's not it's not happening for whatever reason. But yeah, you know, I totally agree with you. We are also patients of the NHS as well as being employees. And if we are encouraged to breastfeed, we should also be supported to breastfeed. And also, yeah. how come I mean I don't work I don't work in um, you know, in obstetrics or anything, but you know, for all the GPs and all the health visitors and all the pediatricians, how can they give the right advice to their to their patients or the mothers of their patients if they haven't had those experiences themselves? So surely it will make us better practitioners, the better experiences we have ourselves. Did you find that, you know, having four children, that it was quite a different experience to each time? Yeah, the big thing was when I had my my younger three children, 
I took a lot longer maternity leave and that was because I just did not want to go back to work and to rely on breastfeeding my children. I was really scared of it actually. And I can remember telling my, when I was pregnant with my second, I can remember sitting down having supervision with my um, supervisor at the time, who was absolutely lovely to me. And he asked something about me going on maternity leave and how long I was going to take. And I just burst into tears. And I was like, I I just can't do it again. It was so horrible. It was so humiliating. I'm going to have to take as long off as possible just so I can feed my baby in the way that I want to. And so after I had, the thing that changed for me is, you know, when you're a new mum, or certainly it was the way it was for me, I was so nervous about breastfeeding. And I think some of that was maybe how other people had talked about breastfeeding. Um, You know, my mum always would tell me to like cover up if we were out and I was really shy about it. And then when I had my other kids, I just thought I'm not doing that again. And I was just so much more confident. So I can remember when I had my little girl, Celeste, she's my my third. I went back to work and I went to meet my supervisor before I went back. I'd never met him before. And I just said, by the way, I'm going to leave every lunchtime. I'm going to walk over to the nursery, feed my daughter, and then I'll be back when I'm done. And I would never have had the confidence to do that for my first. I was like, oh, I've got to do whatever the consultant tells me to. And he just said, oh, yeah, that's great. Good for you. Do do whatever you need to. Um, so yeah, it was, it was so much easier for having that confidence, but there was still, there were still difficulties. Um, you know, you still got to manage on calls and you still got to hold a bleep and the bleep's a big problem for lots of women. So what do you think was the shift then that just kind of gave you that confidence? Do you think it was just experience or? I think it's experience. Yeah. And I think, I think just an unwillingness to be to be in that really horrible uncomfortable place again you know I I just I just wasn't willing to do it to myself or to my child um but yeah I think I I think I think a lot of confidence comes as you get older and as you have more experience doesn't it I mean reading through the research I mean there was comments obviously it's quite nice because you've put kind of some quotes in and I was looking at a couple today my my female consultant told me to stop and give the baby a bottle and resigning was my only option. Yeah, it was uh, awful, yeah. Subject to eye rolls and whispers, rude, unsupported, unkind. I was ridiculed. I mean, it just seems like so sad. It's really disappointing. Yeah, um, and I can't tell you how many of those quotes we could have put in. There were just so many from all professionals, from all different specialties all different areas of the country you know there was just so many comments um about what an awful experience people had had and uh, you know really surprising for me was how many women had spoken like that to other women you know well I I stopped breastfeeding at this many months so you need to do the same and I returned to work when my baby was this old and why aren't you doing it um so, in, you know, I was surprised by that. I would have expected right. maybe, you know, like ignorant comments from men who didn't understand or, but that wasn't really the case. Yeah. There was one woman yeah. who was threatened by her boss that they wouldn't pay her maternity leave. 
um, and they wouldn't pay her if she returned to work and, and, and breastfed while she was at work or expressed while she was at work. Yeah, there was some, there was some really, really tough comments. And, you know, I was quite emotional reading through them, to be honest. It's one thing to look at statistics, isn't it? But to hear those personal experiences was quite powerful to me. Can you talk us through some of the other results? So we took, we had over a thousand cases and we've looked at most of them are doctors really just because we found it easier to access the doctors. And we split the groups between doctors, nurses and midwives, and then other professionals as well. And there was a really big variety of professionals in that. Now, when we looked, the first thing we looked at was the policy, and only 4% of doctors were informed of the breastfeeding policy by their employer. I mean, 4%, that's pretty, mm. <laughs> pretty low, isn't it? So there were some women who were finding out about the policy for themselves. But I think, you know, it's just not on your radar when you go off to have a baby, is yeah. it? You don't think about what's going to happen afterwards. Um, so we feel that employers should have responsibility to send that to people who've had children. Um, yeah. But that's that's not happening. And so then we looked at what the um, resource, what resources were available. And that was where our main focus was really. So the NHS recommends that other employers provide um, employees with a room with a lock, um, a fridge for milk storage, adequate time and breaks, um, and flexible working hours. So we found, I mean, I'll concentrate on the doctors because it's a, you know, it's a doctor's podcast, but only 12% of women um, were provided with a room with a lock. Um, almost 50% managed to find a room with a lock, but that's 50% of women who didn't. 10% were offered or or had a, had a um, fridge for milk storage identified for them. And only 8% of doctors um, were sort of offered adequate time and breaks. We looked at how many people were holding the bleep, and this is across all staff, and only 9% of them had their bleep held consistently whilst they were breastfeeding. Um, so 81% of doctors said they couldn't express as much as they needed to. Um, and then we sort of looked at some of the impact of this, you know, what was the impact on women? So, so 10% of women said it negatively impacted their bond with their baby. Um, 48% had a reduction in milk supply, a significant reduction. Um, 32% of women had difficulties with letdown. 60% of women had experienced stress and 15% developed mental health problems as a direct result of their difficulties expressing at work. 20% of women developed mastitis. 52% said they consistently felt significantly embarrassed. 15% were actually sort of directly ridiculed at work. And 26% of women were told to stop breastfeeding by their colleagues. Gosh, what do you say to that? I don't know what to say. 55% of women said they were interrupted while they were while they were expressing by phone or bleep and 36% of women had somebody walk in the room. But these are the these are the figures that upset me most. So obviously they're told that we, they should have a clean lockable room available to them. Um and it specifies on the NHS website not the toilets. But we've got 37% of um, thirty percent of doctors expressing in toilets. We've got 23% of people expressing in changing rooms, 15% in broom cupboards and 25% of women in their cars. And then we have people breastfeeding in photocopy rooms, um, under stairwells, in patient bathrooms, by patient bedsides. I mean, the the list of imaginative places to express was sort of endless. 
But, you know, that really got to me, that particular figure. You know, 30% of women sat in the toilets expressing, in you know, in our National Health Service is not good enough. So what advice would you give to someone, um, that other mum who's returning to work and hoping to continue breastfeeding or expressing for her baby? I think the first thing would be to have an understanding of your rights. So most of the policies, we looked at a lot of NHS policies on um, breastfeeding. Most of them, interestingly, are embedded into the maternity policy. It's just one or two sentences. Um, But most of them will state that you have to inform your employer in writing before you come back to work of your intention to breastfeed. And it's then my understand, my limited legal understanding is that that's when your employer has an obligation to support you. So definitely inform your employer in writing, know your rights, know the, you know, know the the recommendations from the NHS and, and insist upon them. I think sort of connecting with other women is helpful. Um, so, I mean, we've done the research because so many of it was the social media groups were for doctors mostly and, and, um, and individuals sharing things on social media that we were able to get all this evidence. And so I think that's an amazing resource. There's so many women that are happy to support one another. I think we for, can forget quite easily how big our influence is. And it's not just about making sure that we're supported as individuals, but making sure that our colleagues are supported as well and being part of that culture change. Because I, I mean, I don't think even that all of this, I don't think it's malicious, these results. I think people just, it's just not on our radar and it needs to be on our radar. And that's not going to happen until we start talking about it and we're open about it. Um, there was a lady, I can't remember her name, sorry, but we wrote an article in the BMJ and there was one lady who who wrote a, a piece in there and she was saying that she made a point to express it quite openly in, in meetings and things. She was like, what's wrong with it? Yeah, yeah, I read that article, yeah. So I wonder what, you know, amazing impact she had on other women who who were, were working with her and if that changed their attitude when they had their children. So, yeah, I think being part of that... Um, being part of that culture change is is a big driving force as well. Yeah, it all just needs to be normalised, really. It is normal. You're only feeding a child. I know, yeah. What do you think, I mean, I think we've maybe touched on this, but what do you think needs to be done to improve the experiences of women returning to work? I think ultimately, as I say, the culture needs to change, but that's going to take such a long time to happen. And, I, you know, I can't see that changing easily so I think to lead to that you have to have policy changes um I you know personally I think that employers should be reaching out and should have an obligation to reach out to women when they come back from maternity leave and not just to ask them if they're breastfeeding but you know it's a really really vulnerable time for women you know I think it's six percent of children have a disability what if your child's born and has some difficulties they need extra support for? I, as an employer, want to know that about my employees. You know, yeah. 15% of women experience postnatal depression, um, pregnancy and having a, your first baby. They're big risk factors for domestic violence. We should be sitting down with people and doing risk assessments when they come back to work. I think yeah. it was, was it 3% or 1% of women? I can't remember now who had a risk assessment when they came came back to it one percent one percent of women um 
I might be I might be making that figure up I'd have to check it but it was really really low and you know we need to be having these conversations and I think that the onus needs to be on the employer to just ask those questions before you come back to work how are you doing how's your mental health how's your physical health are you breastfeeding and how's your baby doing and I think we have an obligation to do that not only for our colleagues but also because you know we're we're working with vulnerable people. If you're in a vulnerable yeah. position, then you know it's something that we need to know about, so we can risk assess it, isn't it? So that would be our recommendation. And then we feel that it would be really beneficial to have like a breastfeeding champion within trusts, because yeah. you are vulnerable when you've had a baby. You are embarrassed about it sometimes. You know, if it's your first child, particularly, you might be you know, not understanding how to kind of reach out to people, not having the confidence to do it. So if there was a breastfeeding champion whose responsibility it was to make sure you had the time, to make sure you had access to a fridge, to make sure you had a room and to oversee those things on your behalf, I think that would make that considerably easier for a lot of women. Clearly done loads of work. Well done. I mean, it's a really good project. What's the response been? Most people are really shocked by the results. Most people really want to do something about it. But I think getting those changes made is, you know, getting any changes made in the NHS is quite tricky, isn't it? So I think that's the, I think that's the trick, the tricky bit. And so we, you know, we keep pushing at the, we keep pushing with the results and you know, it's not just about getting them published and down on paper. You know, that's nice, isn't it? It's nice to be published in a journal. It's nice to go to a conference. We've done this because we actually want changes to be made. Um, yeah. And that is sort of another another hurdle, really. Well, thank you. That brings us to the end of our chat. Um, but as we ask all mums who come on the podcast, can you give three practical tips for mothers in medicine? And it doesn't have to be just about breastfeeding. It can be about anything. I think, well, it's not very practical, but put your guilt aside. I think it's really, really easy to feel guilty about everything, particularly as when you're working in a such a high, high pressure job, you know, but you're supporting your family. You are, you know, I always think, feel like I'm setting a really good example for my daughters. Um, I want to teach my children. They can be independent. They can, they can do anything they want. So when I have a little wobble and feel guilty that I'm not at the school gate like the other mums, I just think, no, like this is the best for, for all of us. I'm, I'm doing something really good. Um, can I say get a cleaner? Yes. Yes, please do. <laughs> <laughs> so I've started saying this to a lot of patients as well. I'm like, just get a cleaner. Um, it's like totally to so any, any form of outsourcing. Yeah. As I said, I love that word. I love yeah. that the word outsource. Outsource everything you can. <laughs> so I've got myself, like, a, not just a cleaner. I have, like, a team of cleaners that come in once a week. And I've asked them to start coming in twice a week. I'm like, take my money. I don't want to think about it. We spoke, didn't we, before about the mental load. So it's not just about the sort of practical um, element of doing all the cleaning. Is I just don't even want to think about it. Um, so that would be my second tip. And then I think my third tip, which may sound a little bit sexist, I say to people all the time, think like a man, because I was always sort of quite self-deprecating and, you know, would think, well, I can't take that opportunity. I've not got, I've not got the right experience. And, you know, I'd always take that sort of stance on things. And then I just thought, hang on a minute. I was, I was invited to a conference actually, and they said, 
can you send us a bio? And I asked my friends, what should I put in the bio? And they said, say you've got four kids and you, you're good at baking. And I was like, how many men are writing these things? Like they're not. And something snapped to me and I was like, right, from now on, I'm thinking like a man. I'm going to take the opportunities. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of, you know, shout out about the things I can do. And it's, do you know what? They've got it right. Oh, maybe not all of them, but they've got they've got it right. It's the right attitude yeah. to take. So that would be my third piece of advice. Just own it. Thank you. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. So that's all for today. Thanks for listening. Join us again for the next episode of the Mothers in Medicine podcast. And remember to follow or subscribe. And if there's anything you would like to hear discussed on a future episode, you can contact me at the mimpodcast at gmail.com.